0: Hello, welcome back. This is part two of my stomp with Adam Henson in Cotswold Farm Park. Thank you to our sponsors this week, FitFlop. FitFlop has an uncompromising mission to empower us to move better and feel great, which, as you'll know by now, is so closely aligned with the stomp cast. I've been wearing the Vitamin FF throughout the shooting for stomach cast and to be honest, for ages before, and they've really kept me feeling uh, supported and comfortable with their lightweight feel and contoured soles. What you might not know about Fitflop is they have an in-house biomechanist, Dr Kim, who tests all of their shoes, sandals, trainers and boots, to make sure they align with our body's natural movement. That way we can move better and move freely. Not to mention, all of their models are tested in the same labs that top performance brands use to test their shoes. So you can really trust that they're going to serve you well. If you're on the lookout for a new pair of trainers, as I said, I've been loving the Vitamin FF while recording the Stompcast, or any other style of footwear, just head to fitflop.com. I cannot recommend them high enough. I can honestly say they are my favorite pair of trainers I have ever owned. Adam, thank you very much for enjoying our walk, aren't we? That's we are stomp. indeed,
1: yeah. Gwen, the sheepdog's very settled and, uh, yeah, we're having a lovely time.
0: I'd like to talk to you a little bit about mental health. I mean, it's something I'm very passionate about. And, you know, I grew up in the countryside in Wales. Um, my dad actually uh, was a policeman and I remember him talking about a few cases, actually, of suicide amongst the farming community. And when I was kind of preparing for this podcast, um, I saw quite a frightening statistic that three people who work in agriculture per week die by suicide, which is quite a staggering thing to think about. And, you know, in my role working in kind of mental health, you know, I'm very passionate about how we kind of reach and help communities of people who are particularly affected by mental illness. Is it something that you've kind of been, been aware of? You've been in this kind of industry for a long time. And yeah, I just wonder what your thoughts are around the issue, really.
1: Yeah, I'm. Mean, I'm completely aware of it, and I'm um, very keen to help it in any shape or form I can as well. I mean, I had a very good friend who was a farmer uh, in his 40s who took his own life, and um, it was obviously horrendous for all of us around him and his family, and and he was life and soul of the party. I had no idea why, and to this day it hurts me to think that he didn't shout for help and and it just ended very quickly and I with my work on BBC Countryfile I've gone out and interviewed Mm. people about mental health I mean Nigel Owens the international referee has spoken out about it and I think it's uh, really important that we do get to grips with it and understand why I get to the root of the problems particularly you know in agriculture in my field that You know, people are under a huge amount of pressure. Um, There's lots of things that they can't control that may turn against them. The weather, exchange rate, political change, you know, animal crop diseases, all those sorts of things. And so it is a horrible situation that so many farmers are taking their own lives. And it's young and old, you know, it's Mm. people of all ages. And a lot of statistics show that young agricultural students coming out of university are suffering and i don't think covid has helped at all but we've got to try and with the charitable organizations the samaritans the royal agricultural benevolent institution farm community network all of those the dpj foundation which is in wales are all doing a huge amount of work and it's working with them somehow to support them to try and you know slow things up and ideally stop it so i have got a very good friend who does Um, a load of videos with educational and um, medical experts um, helping people with their health and well-being in the workplace and mainly people who are desk-based so you know county councils and um, those sorts of organizations and he and I are trying to now put together a load of podcasts or some form of um, educational or learning facilities that farmers will tune into and listen to, um, using medical experts to try and help. Um, and we're in the very early stages of trying to get that off the ground. So it's very close to my heart.
0: Thank you for, for sharing, I'm sorry for your loss. When you look at that, and I'd like to dig into that a little bit further, because we know that men are ten t- times more likely to take their own lives than women. Uh, we also know that men will, men will often take their own lives without any warning. They don't give warnings. I mean, I lost my brother to suicide and we had no real warning about that. It was not an opportunity that we felt that we could have done something. So what is the answer then, particularly for communities where, you know, there's quite a lot of men within the agricultural sector. There's a lot of working alone. How do we get men to talk a bit more in this community? And how do we get people to actually ask for help before, before they take that option?
1: Uh, Firstly, I'm really sorry about your brother, what a horrible, horrible thing to have experienced, but that, yes, uh, you're right and that all of those statistics are correct. And I think it's about raising awareness. So yourself as an individual, you recognise when you're in the early stages of struggling so that you do reach out for help and you feel more comfortable and confident to talk about it. And you recognise that there are other people out there who are suffering, so often testimonials from people who have suffered from mental health and who got close to suicide but didn't happen to. If you, if you can hear someone like that talk, mm. uh, you know, like Nigel Owens, I, I suspect, I'm no expert, I suspect that will help. You think, oh, well, actually, I, you know, that's me. I, I need to reach out and talk to these various people. And there are amazing organisations out there who can help. But also, I think, as an agricultural industry, we need to learn about the pressures that everyone is under and for all sectors to be able to have a better idea of how to recognize stress or concern or worry so whether you're a feed rep or a vet or a work colleague or a manager that everyone should go through these courses and and watch stuff on you know on how to do on how how to deal with it or listen to things how to deal with it Um, do you you
0: think that because as i listen to you i mean you know a lot of farms will go to agricultural colleges or study one way or another in this sector is there is there an opportunity there to put you know students through mental health first aid training the course is a few days but it gives a real does give a good basics of what to spot within yourself as well as others and I feel like if you can even have a basic understanding and also the process of destigmatizing that happens through actually learning about it it feels like there's an opportunity there, even in a basic way, to give some of the skills. And it's a starting point, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think the agricultural colleges and universities all over it. Yeah. So if you speak to Harper Adams, the Royal Agricultural University, you know, Hartbury, which is my local one, they're very, very aware of the situation. They've done surveys, they're running courses. Brilliant. They're already um, well on the road to, um, to all of that. But you're right, you know, it, it's getting to people when they're, young enough and influential enough to be able to, you know, do something about it, really.
0: I've might, well, might update people as to what we're seeing. So we were in kind of much tighter kind of not forestry. What's the word? Not tight of forestry. I what's just
1: the word? sort of
0: uh, scrubby? Yeah, scrubland, not scrubland. It's sort of, I don't know, like bushes, lots of bushes. Now <laughs> we're in a very much an open kind of field, aren't we?
1: Yeah, so we walked around a part of the farm where we went through our SI, where we've got rare butterflies and plants and really conservation area. And then past a couple of fields that we grow for wildflowers. Um, so they're wildflowers that we harvest, um, but we graze them in the winter, those paddocks in the winter, and then we leave them from the spring right through to the autumn, everything comes to flower, and then we harvest the wildflowers that we sell off for seed to create wildflower meadows around the Cotswolds. But now we're into much more open grassland, So this is more productive. Um, This is for our um, sheep farming and cattle farming. And so this is where we would put our ewes and lambs in the spring when they come out of the sheds. And then we graze these pastures all summer. In fact, there goes a little skylark. So there's a little rough bit to our right. So flying across there. Beautiful. Going and landing, they nest, they're ground nesting birds. So they'll nest on the ground. And in the spring, they'll sing and they'll go up and float up and down in the sky. Making an amazing um, song, very complicated song. To attract uh, mates, is it? Is that where to mean? attract a mate to yeah. mark their territory. And is it um, Vaughan the um, composer? Yes, yes. Used inspiration from the, Cy- ah, the Skylark. Ah, that's where. That's, that's one of my favourite songs. Yeah. Yes, Vaughan yeah. Williams.
0: Yes, of course. The something of the, sky, uh, Flight, oh God, I Flight to the Skylark. Flight of the Skylark is it? Yeah, oh, but yeah. it's one of those yeah. amazing songs. Very yeah. long song, but it's very relaxing. And actually, it does really make you. That's what I love about classical music is it's amazing at taking you almost into the picture, or into the kind of scene that it's creating. And you can almost feel when you listen to that song, so please do after this, it makes you feel like you're floating and you can almost imagine being a bird. It's,
1: it's, yeah. it's amazing, I do, I do love my classical and music. Often if you're out in, particularly this part of the farm, there's quite a few skylarks nest in these wildflower fields. You can hear them and you can't spot them because they're right up high, bobbing up and down, doing their territory song. And, uh, and it is exactly that. They are just floating up and down. So you can understand where he got the inspiration. Adam, how did you get into Countryfile? How did it all start? Yeah, so post foot and mouth 2001, 2001 was a horrible year in agriculture when foot and mouth, you know, rampaged across the country. We were struggling here on the farm. We're tenants of the farm, we don't own it. Um, All our assets were tied up in agricultural machinery and livestock. We had the Cotswold Farm Park that my business partner and I had invested in and um we couldn't open because of foot and mouth and we nearly lost the farm you know and he and i live in tenanted houses with our families and so we would have lost our houses our homes wow. our business everything and at the same time Country Fire were doing a presenter search on the program and my wife she works in television and persuaded me to apply and i'd never really considered going on to the television I um although my dad had done a little bit of work yeah on a program called Animal Magic with Johnny Morris uh, and you'd be too young to remember but so I'd seen my dad do some presenting. do you, do you think some of that do you think that that inspiration was there yeah the, the, the inspiration was there, was there but also my grandfather was a famous um comedian and actor who used to wow. hung around with people like Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire if anybody oh, listening wow. remembers those names entertained the king's troop King George VI and set up a, a ENSA that to train the troops around the world. So it's in my bones, it's in, I it's suppose. in the genes. Yeah. It's in the genes. So I sent off my video along with, I think there was three and a half thousand applicants, all those wow. old VHSs that the yep. producers had to watch. <laughs> and, VHS, uh, those are videotapes, people, for any of the young listeners. And then it got to the... Um, got it down to final 20 and we went for auditions you weren't allowed to have any journalistic background at all and they wanted someone who understood the countryside and the rural domain so there were gamekeepers there were fishermen there were jockeys there were farmers there were all sorts of people who lived and worked in the countryside and uh, we all had to learn how to do pieces to camera and interviews and uh, voiceovers and make a short film and amazingly it got down to the final three and there was a viewer's vote and i got the job and i've been on it ever since it's just amazing, and, and yeah,
0: I mean, look, I've only been in TV or whatever it means for really the last few years, but you know, it's very unusual for people to be on for so long, basically, and have such a kind of long, long career in that space. And it, it is, it is amazing because you have become very much part of people's routines, right? Because it's like, like I said to you, like there's that feeling of oh gosh, school's coming kind of thing. But it, it's It's almost like we sit down and watch this now as a family and it's it's a great opportunity when we're talking about teaching and education earlier on. You really are given an opportunity to teach people that might not otherwise have the opportunity to see, to learn, to hear what you've got to say because we forget sometimes, and I think it's a privileged standpoint, but we forget that some people have never seen a cow before. They've never been to the countryside. So you're giving them that insight, maybe the inspiration that when they can, they can go and see.
1: Yes, and I feel very privileged to be in that position. Uh, Countryfile is regularly getting five or six million viewers. It's the most watched factual programme on television. And because of the success of Countryfile, there are lots of other farming and countryside shows now on TV and various other channels, which I think is brilliant news for the farming community and the whole agricultural domain, really. And so, yes, and when I'm presenting, sometimes farmers criticise me for for making it a bit fluffy, for not being... um, to not being farmy enough and using farm techy words <laughs> and I remind them that of exactly what you just said. There are plenty of people watching the programme who may live in a flat in Hackney or in Coventry or wherever, wherever it is in the yeah. country. In Swansea in West Wales. never been into the countryside, never seen a sheep in real life and I have to not dumb it down but talk in a way that they understand what I'm talking about without trying to insult the experts, the farmers. And so it is, it's a tricky one to, to get right, but if there's that many people watching it every week, you know, there's plenty of people, oh hopefully, gosh, yeah. with the old BBC oh, wow. adage, they say a bit of take home, you know, they're taking yeah. something home from the programme. What do you think of uh, Clarkson's Farm? Have you watched that one? I did. I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> I think he's a, he's a very good storyteller. Um, I thought it reached a whole new demographic of people yeah. to learn about the countryside. I don't think it encouraged anybody to get into farming because it <laughs> made I it out to be completely yeah. grim and for the listeners anybody's thinking about farming and that's all you've watched it isn't all that bad it's you yeah. know it's there are some real highlights of farming and
0: well it's interesting isn't it because it got people to watch it that may not have that then might go and watch country follow it. because i actually was kind of reading some of the responses and it was interesting you say that people thought oh gosh I didn't want to but loads of people off the back of that as well as obviously what they do for country over a long period of time were going well, actually that looks like even though it's hard that was amazing that moment of like you know I've achieved this look what I've grown or look at the, yeah. the, these are the sheep that I've they're here because I've you know farmed the land or whatever yeah and yeah there's something about like you know going doing things that are difficult are often worthwhile in the end because you feel like I've really achieved something and I mean, as I said, I've been surrounded by farming. I'm, it wasn't my upbringing, but I have seen farming around me, and I loved it. When there's like hay season and baling, and all that kind of all that kind of thing, and I could appreciate from a distance how, even though it's you know you get up at ridiculous time in the morning, but how rewarding it must be to go. I have grown this. These animals are here because I look after them. There's something really amazing about that.
1: There, there absolutely is, and you know it is very rewarding, and it can be hard work, and it can be very challenging. And you're looking after animal welfare, so you're a vet, you're a nutritionist, you're a biologist, you're a plant specialist, you're a mechanic, you know, you're all of those things. And yes, I mean, there, there's so much reward from farming, and I still think it's the best job in the world. I live a very diverse life with my work in the BBC, with the Cotswold Farm Park, you know, we're looking at across our lodges and our campsites. Which we have look wonderful, of by the way, you yeah. must come thank and Thank you, thank you. Uh,
0: you must stay, look they're beautiful,
1: aren't they? Uh, so, you know, I, and, and, and if... Clarkson's Farm bought the countryside to more people than great. You know, that's absolutely brilliant. In fact, I was I was watching Coldplay the other night at Wembley with my. I, wife. I feel like everyone has. I mean Hollywood's <laughs> the way everyone in the country is what, what Coldplay um, made a lot of money this tour. What an store. amazing concert. <laughs> but actually, he's really into sustainability and nature and the countryside and yeah, all those, you know, all the you know, carbon footprint and all that, which is great. Well they are. And um the guy sat next to me was from Canada. And, uh, and he said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a farmer from the Cotswolds. And he goes, oh, the Cotswolds is the best <laughs> Canadian accent. He said, uh, that's where that Clarkson guy comes from. He's put the Cotswolds on the map. <laughs> you were like, thanks very much. Well, oh, actually. Actually, I thought, great. I mean, you know, I've got a tourist <laughs> enterprise in the Cotswolds. And if Clarkson's helped do that, then I'll have a bit of a spin-off. Thanks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you are definitely the
0: OG <laughs> farmer around here. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> very recently, you opened up about you know, some difficult times in the public eye, shall we say, because it is the good and the bad, the that's so I call it being in the, in the media. I don't know if that's fair representation, but, you know, it was, very, it was a very difficult time for you, wasn't it? When, I believe, reaction from other farmers and, and things, and I hear even death threats, is that right?
1: Yeah, so that was over TB, TB. Uh, which is a disease that cattle get. Uh, it spread from cattle to cattle and then from wildlife to cattle. And I was doing a piece on Countryfile and we were TB testing our cattle. They're injected with an inoculum and then three days later, the skin where that inoculum was put in is measured. And if it swells in a certain uh, amount, then those animals are compulsory slaughtered and we lost a whole load of animals that had to go from compulsory slaughter. And I was very upset. And I didn't um, make any disparaging comments about wildlife and because it's badgers that um, Carry it a lot, and there's now a badger culling going on in the country, and um, there were a few people that thought I was a badger hater and that um, that I was I was encouraging the cull, and um, actually I wasn't. I was just telling the story of a farmer who was TBing his cattle and was lo- losing his beloved White Park bull and some of his cows that had been on the farm for generations and. And so I didn't actually mention wildlife at all, but the the, the press actually, when they get onto a story, they did blow that out of proportion. Mm. So if you Google me, it's still there, you know, hanging around on Wikipedia. Mm. It was a couple of letters that didn't come to anything. didn't really, um, it it mattered. I don't want to make it sound like it didn't matter, but it was dealt with quickly and it disappeared. And so I think we, you know, in farming, TB is one of the pressures Mm. in in cattle farming and, that is it's a very emotive, controversial topic It doesn't matter what sector of TV
0: you're in. you know it feels like these days people are very quick and happy to really tear people down and I think we've got to be careful. I got about it this podcast is the same across my other social media. cancer culture is a huge risk for everyone at the moment, and also this kind of this feeling that people can say whatever they want, write whatever they want and and that it doesn't matter there's no kind of culpability for it you wouldn't threaten someone's family or them as an individual but you you know but you feel all right to kind of send in a message or or letter and I think you know we, we've yeah. got to move away from that sharply I know you talked about that was a long while ago but I've, I've had messages of, of similar nature sent to me and you think well how is this okay and I think there needs to be a shift and really you know clamp stamping down when people do that because it's just not
1: acceptable no, so I'm on television every week on Countryfile and then some other programmes as well. And there'll always be something on social media, people saying stuff about me. There's some lots of lots of nice things, but there's always some that are really horrible. And I tend not to look at them and I tend not to react and, uh, you know, but they are, they're hiding behind a screen and they're venting whatever they feel from behind a screen. But actually, probably if I sat the opposite side of a table with them having a beer, chatting things through, they wouldn't say they it. They wouldn't say it, and you might be able to talk around the subject, and they might realise that actually, I'm not a horrible person, and I, you know, <laughs> you're doing your very best, <laughs> and, but right. I'm doing my very best. But also, I understand everybody's opinion. Yeah. You know, I, am I'm, I'm not um, belligerent in the way I consider land use or conservation or eating meat or animal diseases or organic farming versus conventional farming, you know, I'm completely open minded to have all those discussions and and justify and verify why I do what I do and the way I live my life.
0: Yeah, no I think and I think having that open Open mind is is a good thing, and we should basically respect all each other 's opinions, but do it in the right way yeah that 's something that a lot of people talk about with it when it comes to livestock, and people go, "Oh gosh, you know I can eat meat and I can eat lamb or whatever but i, I don 't think I could I don 't think I could be the one to, to to kill the animal, even saying that sounds you know difficult almost to say how do you deal with your livestock that you know go to slaughter to go to be food basically i 'm guessing you 're pretty at peace with it, and what do you think about um what do you think about people, I guess, who who have no understanding? Do you think everyone should know, should see what actually happens?
1: Yeah, so we're walking past some animals now. So we've got some white park cattle here, um, beautiful white bodies, black nose, black ears, with their calves at foot. A couple of those I help the cows give birth to them. Um, some of those are steers, they're castrated males, and I know in when they're 24 months old, they'll go for producing meat. In the field next to them, there's some sheep, and I know their lambs will be going... For slaughter to go to the table when they're, you know, four or five months old. And when animals are born on the farm, I'm completely invested in saving their lives and giving them the best upbringing I possibly can. And I know how they've been looked after, and I and I really tried my very best to do the best by them. But I do know that they are going to be eaten. Some of them, and. When they go for slaughter and i load them onto the lorry or i Mm. take them myself that doesn't come without emotion i know their destiny i know where they're going and but i'm proud of the product that i'm producing and i'm a meat eater so Mm. i've got to deal with that and understand that and i do and i get it and i don't have a problem with it but for the people who don't like to and don't want to and don't feel that they can deal with that Being a vegetarian or a vegan is absolutely fine, you know, and so that's what you must do. My wife is a vegetarian, and so is my daughter. Mm. My son and I are big meat eaters. Um, And should every child, adult, go to an abattoir to see an animal be slaughtered? Should they be able to hold a chicken and wring its neck if they're going to eat chicken? Probably not. Mm -hmm. You know, it isn't something you should have to do or should have to Mm. see, but you must understand where that comes from. And I think with the availability of food that is so accessible to people that there is a complete detachment of where that food has come from and how it's been produced and if I can bang on a little bit more about it because I do get a lot of criticism and quite there's a lot of sort of vigilante I don't know, is that the right word it's quite aggressive behavior mm. from a section of society, is, you know, particularly a vegan vegetarian section of society, who criticise and are quite vicious towards farming and, and food production that has come from the use of animals. And if you don't want to use animals, that's fair enough. If you can't eat meat or drink milk because of health reasons, of course, fair enough. But if it's, and it sometimes is banded around, for climatic reasons, mm. so meat-free Monday, mm you know, we should be eating less dairy because cows burping methane. Yes, cows burp methane, but in this country, a lot of our cattle and sheep are fed pretty much on a grass-fed diet. So this green stuff we're walking past is sucking up CO2 from the atmosphere, it's producing oxygen through the formation of photosynthesis, and that CO two is going down into the roots, into the mycelium, into the soil, and that is a carbon sink. These paddocks we're walking across now haven't the soil hasn't been moved on them for all my lifetime. So there's a huge carbon sink, carbon, yeah. and that carbon, you know, it is good. That's a good. <laughs> that's part of our yeah. our carbon capture on this farm. And there are some people who, if you're going to be a climavore and eat because of the climate, then Okay, don't eat meat and don't drink dairy products if you don't want to, but think really carefully about what you do put on your plate. So if you're not going to have cow's milk on your Mm cornflakes, don't have almond milk, don't have soya milk. Soya milk has probably caused deforestation, destruction of species and the displacement of indigenous people. Mm. Go for oat milk. Have oat milk produced in the UK. If you don't want to have poached eggs on toast or you want to have something else, don't have crushed avocado with chilies on yeah. it. Yeah. No, crushed avocado, yeah. the amount of water it uses up. Yeah. They're, they're moving rivers in Mexico to feed the to green feed these, forests yeah. of avocados and, avocado, and yeah. villages, are star- you know, they haven't got any water to wash That's their terrible, children. Yeah. So, so be a climavore and think carefully about what you want to eat, but just every time you put something on your plate, you know, consider it really, really carefully. And I think we should have a traffic light system for climate. As in to actually to then people get an
0: idea and then you'd have to show the traffic light system to say are you actually green, what's yeah. your
1: amber and red yeah. for if it really is bad. Yeah. And I would wager that a lamb chop produced off the Welsh mountains off the Brecon beacons <laughs> would have a better traffic light so it'd be green or amber in comparison to avocado. It's fascinating isn't it because so much of, we talk about misinformation often about health
0: and actually really this does actually link a lot into health anyway but it does feel about climate stuff about farming about food there's so much misinformation about food out there and i mean we've become a society that's yes trying to think about the environment but also like we're absolutely obsessed with calories and what calorie this is and what that is should we not be thinking more about what type of food are we eating where is it from how is this this grown because you know, food that's grown, you know, is genuinely organic, that's produced from the land, that's been brought up in, in the right way, a balanced plate of, you know, different colours, a colourful plate, a bit of meat, a bit of veg, but is, is that not how we should go back to? Because it feels like that's, we've lost that almost.
1: Yes, I mean, I think you, you're right, you know, all the nutritionists will tell you a, a balanced, healthy diet is what you should be eating, and eating food that comes from a system that is kind to the land, and, you know, people choose to eat organic food because it's not Uh, hasn't got had the use of pesticides or fertilizers and that's fair enough if that's what they want to do and one of the major political problems I suppose is that the the food industry is very disconnected from the health industry and you are what you eat and so there's a massive problem with diabetes and obesity and processed food and sugars and salts all these things that, that we shouldn't be eating as much as we do, and that all boils down to education. So for those of you who weren't listening right at the beginning, when I mentioned having a GCSE in agricultural food production and conservation and land use, if you learnt that at school, you would then have the informed choice of what you consume and what that does to your body or what it might do to your children and the life you lead. And so, you know, perhaps I'm sounding a bit evangelical and a bit preachy, but I think you've absolutely nailed it. You know, things need to be simpler and healthier. And as a farmer, I have the responsibility to help deliver that. We've just made things too complicated, haven't we? So let's simplify our
0: foods and do, do our research, people. Thanks once again to our sponsor this week, Fitflop. Remember, if you want to stomp in utmost comfort with shoes that are powered by science head to fitflop.com and bag yourself a pair of supercharged footwear, whether you're shopping for men or women. Thank you so much. We are at the end of part two of the podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening. If you're still stomping away, fantastic. Go to part three. If not, we'll see you very, very soon.
1: Hold up.